if there's a lot of red tape in your organization, if there's a thousand permission steps that people have to go to in order to make a decision or take an action, if people are empowered to move forward in the best interest of the business on the front lines and to be able to think independently and critically about whether or not there's a better way to do things and then be able to quickly act on those things because there's bureaucracy and because it's way more top-down leadership than it is centralized leadership, you are not positioned to be agile. Well, hey there, if we have not yet met, my name is Alex Jett. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, you're entering into part two of a two-part series on how to prepare for recession. And before we jump into the content associated with part two, I want us to review some of the high-level points within part one. We, we first focused on three principles. Number one is that good leaders respond to crisis. And there was a lot within COVID-19 about how everyone was responding to crisis and not reacting the crisis. And that's important. But what do great leaders do? Well, great leaders prepare for it. So they do what they can to make sure themselves, their family, their business is ready for when the inevitable crisis occurs, because it's not a matter of if, but rather a matter of when. The next thing that we focused on, what the next principle that we focused on was that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And so this is why we've got to focus on preparation, especially in this season, because there will be an increase in opportunities associated with this recession, because that always happens, right? There's more people that need to be met. There's going to be people and businesses that need to be served. Those things are all going to increase. The people who are able to act on those things are the ones who are operating from a posture of preparation. And then number three, you can't be strategic if you're just trying to survive. If you as a business are just trying to keep the lights on and just trying to keep the doors open, then you're not going to be able to think about how to optimally and strategically act and respond to the situation that you're in. And so therefore, we want to prepare to not be in survival mode when crisis hits. And then from there, we focused on five actions. Get your house in order. Reinforce, amplify, and publicize culture. Understand and minimize risk. And and I want to go back to that real quick. Don't forget General Stanley McChrystal's risk equation. Risk equals threat times vulnerability. And that's such a powerful concept for us to remember as we're in this season. And again, we do a full in-depth explanation of that in part one of this series. And I would recommend going back and listening to that if that's something you're interested in. Number four, consistently assess the landscape of reality. And that's going to play in directly to one of the actions that we talk about today related to agility. And then number five, play the role of narrator where you're not just speaking in certainty about things that you are actually very uncertain on, like the future or the economy or things you can't control, but rather you're just narrating the truth of what's happening now, what are you doing, and why are you doing it, both as a business, as a team, and as a leader. Okay, so it's in that context that we're now going to focus on the final five actions. And the first one that I want us to dive into is number six, which is position yourself and your business to be agile. Now, as we already alluded to, this is going to play directly with the point in episode one associated with assessing the landscape. So we said that you as a leader, are you going to be prepared? 
prepared and primed, if you can consistently keep your eyes open and up towards what's actually going on right now, and not just reacting to momentary isolated events, but rather tracking and observing and noticing trends and trajectories. But if you are that leader that is doing those things, your ability to observe reality and the landscape of what's going on within the economy, within your business, within the market, within your consumer base, your ability to assess those things is good, but your ability to act upon them is going to be what's going to make the difference. And so what can you do right now to be prepared for the impending recession? Well, you need to make sure that your business and specifically your team is positioned to be able to be agile. And there's three areas that I think are actually going to stand as enemies to agility in your organization that it would be really wise for you right now to be starting to cut these things down and extract and exterminate these things from your business so that when the need to be able to turn on a dime occurs, you're able to do it. Number one is bureaucracy. If there's a lot of red tape in your organization, if there's a thousand permission steps that people have to go to in order to make a decision or take an action, if people aren't empowered to move forward in the best interest of the business on the front lines and to be able to think independently and critically about whether or not there's a better way to do things and then be able to quickly act on those things because there's bureaucracy and because it's way more top-down leadership than it is centralized leadership, you are not positioned to be agile. And I will tell you that the teams that are going to win are not going to be this formal style of warfare where the elite general who has this all-knowing understanding from his ivory tower marshals the resources and tell them the direction to go. No, you know this. The teams that win within the landscape of crisis as it exists today practice guerrilla warfare. It's the people that say, okay, we've got a bunch of strong, independent thinkers on our team that are well-equipped, that are well-empowered, that know the values that serve as the boundaries within we operate in. And man, we're going to tell people, make decisions, test actions, and move forward. And so you've got to make sure that your organization is already practicing that right now. And so anything you can do as a leader to strip away and eliminate bureaucracy and eliminate the need to ask for permission and eliminate the, the need for policy that just get in the way of doing the right thing because bureaucratic organizations are going to be slow to the starting line. And that's actually a pretty important phrase to focus on. It's not even that they're going to be slow to the finish line. They're going to be slow to even realize what's going on. And why is that? Well, it's because the leaders who are running those organizations are going to be so disconnected from what's actually going on in the day-to-day -day operations of the organization that it's probably going to take five weeks before they realize what's actually happening to their business. You got to cut down bureaucracy because it's an enemy of agility. What's another enemy of agility? Improper expectations within your team. Whenever I think about this topic, I always think about my first handful of marathons that I ever ran. And I've now done 23 marathons, so I've done quite a few. But the first three that I did had something in common. Standing at the starting line, I just remember being so excited and having so much adrenaline in me and just being so pumped and the music was playing and it would typically be in the winter, so it was nice and cool outside and everyone would just be so amped. And I just have this mental mindset of this is going to be awesome. This is gonna be such a great day. I'm going to crush this race. And 
And then we would go and we would run for three, three and a half hours, right? And about three and a half hours in, around mile 20 to 22 to 24, I, I would hit this wall and I would walk. And for the first three marathons at around mile 22 to 23, I walked every single time. And, and that was a little bit devastating for me. And, and what happened there? Well, the reality of what I experienced didn't line up with my expectations because what were my expectations? Well, at the starting line, I was like, this is going to be awesome. I can't wait. And so this is what my mindset was like at the starting line of my fourth marathon. I, I, I stood there and I was at the starting line and I was still pumped and I still had some energy about me. But I said, man, about three hours from now, this is absolutely going to suck. I'm in a wish I wasn't here. My legs are going to hurt. My body is going to hurt. I'm going to be tired of running and I'm just going to wish it was done. And, and so I was setting expectations. But here's what's really interesting is those expectations were actually aligned with what was most likely to happen. And sure enough, I got to around mile 22 of that fourth marathon and it sucked and my legs hurt and my body hurt and I was tired of running and I didn't really want to be there anymore. But you know what happened? I had this moment where I said, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I expected. This is what I said was going to happen. And that was the first ever marathon that I ran the full thing, all 26.2 miles. Here's the principle. People experience dissonance when their reality differs from their expectations. But even if expectations are a little bit negative or bad, if their reality aligns with them, people are often more equipped and empowered and able to deal with it. Now, here's the issue. Leaders often create a culture within their team that is soft on expectations. And they allow this idea to exist because they don't want to talk about hard realities that everything's going to be up and to the right all the time. And best is always yet to come. And there's going to be no dips and everything's going to go according to plan. And even when there starts to be some red flags, like an impending recession, like a geopolitical crisis with Ukraine and Russia, like the culture wars that are going on in our country right now, the leader doesn't really pay attention to those and just says like, everything's up into the right. We're focused on what we're doing in our business, right? Here, here's what feels healthier to me. And here's what happens whenever you choose to ignore the circumstances and set improper expectations is reality eventually occurs and your team is blindsided by it. And they're spending so much time trying to recover from what just happened that they are literally rendered unable to be agile in that situation. They spend weeks, if not months, just trying to like get their head on straight and be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And they end up walking in the race instead of running. What's better? For us to say, hey, there's some pretty wild stuff going on right now. The economy isn't in exactly in great shape. In inflation continues to go up and it appears that that will continue to do the same. There's a lot of stress within people's mindset associated with the economy and a lot of people are predicting that there's going to be a recession. On top of that, man, there's all this stuff going on with Russia's just naked aggression towards Ukraine and all of that is just creating a ton of tension and anxiety geopolitically. And then here at home, well, an election's coming up in November and man, we know how turbulent that was the last time we did this. And so I, I, I just think that things might be a little bit bumpy coming up. And maybe not, but I, I think that they might be. And, and this might be a little bit more of a turbulent season for our country, for our community, 
for our business and for our team. And I just want us to expect that because I think we can deal with it. We can deal with turbulence and we've been through turbulence before and we can handle it in the future. I just want us to be ready for it instead of being blindsided by it. So then when any one of those multitude of things happens, or even if something else happens, you can look up and talk to your team and say, hey, this is what we talked about. This is what we expected. And the good thing is, is we weren't blindsided by it. We're ready for it. And we're going to do whatever it takes or whatever we need to do to make sure that we stay on mission and to make sure that we take care of you, that we take care of our customers, and that we continue to do great business in service of others. This is so, so, so crucial to being prepared for this is set proper expectations for your team so that they don't hit mile 22 and say, what happened? I thought this was going to be awesome the whole time. No, but they say, man, this may even suck a little bit, but that's exactly what we expected. Okay, so bureaucracy is an enemy of agility. Improper expectations are an enemy of agility. The final enemy of agility that I want to talk about on this episode is fear. We said this at the end of part one, that Second Timothy says that the Lord did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, of power, and of self-control. So you've been given a spirit of love. You have this ability to act in generous kindness and steadfast generosity towards other people. That is the spirit that is inside of you. And you've been given power. You've been given a will. This is crazy. You can make decisions. You can move forward. You can take action. And you've been given the ability to do that. God gave you an outrageous amount of freedom to be able to step into that. He gave you power. And then what else did he give you? He gave you a spirit of self-control, the ability to be disciplined, the ability to be focused, the ability in a world of distraction to be someone that is remarkably undistracted and stays on mission and stays on plan. And I will tell you, in the season that we're in, and certainly in the season that lies ahead, if you're going to lead effectively, you're going to have to double down on the love, the power, and the self-control that God gave you as an antidote to fear. But I think it's also important to kind of pay attention to what a lot of emotional intelligence work has discussed on fear. And this is something that we talked about at our in-person experience that we did with people in Nashville is there's five core emotions, right? This is the framework that I like, and it's not a perfect framework, but, but it's a good one because it's usable. Five core emotions, anger, shame, sadness, gladness, fear. Now you may listen to those five core emotions and you say, why is only one of them good? False question, not a good question because emotions aren't good or bad. Emotions just are, right? And emotions are reality. And so you are an emotional being, literally, you were created that way. And if you, you want to test that theory, try turning them off. That's not going to work out so well. You'll end up more emotional than when you started, right? So you're an emotional being and you've been given these five core emotions. Now we may use other words. We may say, I'm disappointed, you're angry. We may say, I'm upset, you're angry. We may say, I'm anxious, you're afraid. We may say, I'm paranoid, you're afraid, right? We may say, I'm excited, elated, glad. That's gladness, right? But what we need to understand is that all those peripheral words connect to these five core emotions, anger, shame, sadness, gladness, fear. And in times of uncertainty and potential crisis, and certainly actual crisis, the emotion that a lot of times we most press into is the emotion of fear. Now, what we said is that that emotion isn't good or bad. The manifestation of it is what makes it positive or negative. And so 
what does fear look like as a blessing and as a benefit and as a gift? Well, it looks like wisdom. It looks like you looking both ways before you cross the street so you don't get hit by a car. When you do that, I don't say, the Lord did not give you a spirit of fear. No, I look at you and I say, man, that's really wise. You should probably do that. It looks like you honestly assessing the threats associated with the current landscape of reality, like we talked about earlier, as it relates to your business. And, and so when you talk about reality and the threats that are present within reality in a logical and decisive way, I'm not calling you a fearful leader. I'm saying you're a wise leader because you're paying attention that there's factors beyond your control that it would be wise to attend to. The blessing of fear is wisdom if you tap into it. What's the burden of fear? What's the impairment of fear? crippling paranoia or rage. Let's start with paranoia. You become this person that's always walking around on eggshells and you're always thinking through the lens of the worst case scenario. And you are unable to act unless you know everything, but you can never know everything. And so therefore you just stall out and you don't make any decisions and you don't take any actions. And that is literally the opposite of what we're talking about in this section, which is agility, the ability to move, the ability to take action, the ability to pivot whenever opportunity presents itself. And so paranoia is number one, where you just become this timid, anxious, fearful leader that isn't able to do anything and your organization slowly grinds to a halt because the organization only moves as fast as its leader's decisions and actions, period. Okay, but then the second one, rage. And this is interesting because a lot of times people think about rage as a form of anger, but I will tell you the most rageful leaders that I've ever interacted with. And, and I, I could honestly count on one hand the number of times that this has happened where I was truly in a room with a leader that was experiencing what I would call rage. Most often when I observe that person, what they're actually operating of out of is fear. And they are someone that really, really puts a lot of security based on what they can control. And when they start to lose that control, their reaction is not to adopt a posture of wisdom, which this connects to Proverbs 1, 7, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And they're not saying God is in control. Instead, they're saying, I thought I was in control. I'm seeing evidence that I'm not in control. And therefore, I need to will control under my power, rage. And they do everything they can out of a posture of deep-seated insecurity to make everything fall into their submission so that they can play God. Ooh, nasty. And so you want to avoid that, right? But recognize if you do interact with a leader like that, typically it's not anger. Typically it's fear that they're operating out of. And if you want to avoid becoming that, what's best? Well, it's, it's best to constantly acknowledge the fear and then say, how do we leverage this as wisdom and not paranoia or rage? So we want to position our business to be agile. And what you need to eliminate and exterminate are three enemies in order to do that. Bureaucracy, improper expectations, and fear. Okay, let's move on to number seven now, the seventh way to prepare for recession. And it's actually very related to the agility topic we just talked about. Test assumptions quickly, aggressively, and often. I'm going to say it again. Test assumptions quickly, aggressively, and often. 
So we said that you need to assess the landscape of reality and you need to position yourself to be agile. Well, then once you are in a position to be able to be agile and you're looking at reality, you're going to have some assumptions and you're going to say, okay, I'm, I'm thinking that this could happen or I think thing, I'm thinking that this might work or you're playing in hypotheticals. And this is something that uh, Mike Hyatt actually taught me. He said, Alex, you're always playing in probabilities of what you think is going to happen. And, and so just recognize that you're always making assumptions and making guesses. Now, some of those assumptions can be wildly unfounded and untested, and that's probably not healthy or good, but some of them can be in alignment with the knowledge that you have, the information that you've gathered, and wisdom that you feel like you can rely on. It's still an assumption. It's just a probability of what you think is going to happen, and that doesn't mean you can't act on it because you can never know everything. It just means that you should act on it in the proper way. That's pretty good advice. And so here's what I want you to know is that untested assumptions can break your business. Tested assumptions can make your business. I'm going to say it again. Untested assumptions can break your business. Tested assumptions can absolutely make your business. Here's what I mean by this is you are operating within the realm of assumptions. And certainly if you're thinking about how to respond with agility as it relates to the economy that's on the horizon for our country, well, then you're going to be making some assumptions about what's going to occur within that economy, what's going to occur within your industry, what's going to occur within your team, what is your team able to accomplish, what are consumers going to want, what are consumers going to need, what are consumers going to know that they want to need. You're making assumptions on all of those things. So the first thing you should recognize is that you're always making assumptions and it would be wise to label them as such. It's the people that don't label their assumptions as assumptions that really scare me because they're making predictions and instead of treating those predictions as hypothetical scenarios, they're treating them as infallible certainties. And that's not good because, I mean, you and I both know the number of things that we can't control way outweighs the number of things that we can. So it would be wise to make these assumptions intentionally. And, and here's an exercise you can do. You can ask, what are the assumptions that I'm making about what's going to happen short term, medium term and long term. And here's what I like to think about short term one to three months. What are some things that I think are going to happen with our team, with our industry, with the economy as a whole, with consumer buying patterns over the course of the next one to three months? You may say, Alex, I don't know. Okay, well, I'm not asking you to know. I'm asking you to guess. And we're not saying we're going to act on your guess immediately. We're just saying, let's, with the information that we have, let's make the most educated guess. And, and how do you get that information? Well, look at what's going on right now. Look at what you've seen in the past. Look at human nature. Look at your own wisdom associated with other things related to this. Like you can draw from all of those arenas and you can say, okay, let's just make the best educated guess we can. Medium term, three to 12 months. Long term, 12 to 24 months. And then just make some educated predictions. Okay, like what do I think is going to happen over the course of these time periods? And what are some assumptions that I could make about what might happen again, within our industry, within the economy as a whole, within our business and within our consumer base. 
And you know what? You can even get even more specific with your predictions. You can start to make predictions about new product lines or new messaging that might work within the current economy or a new marketing medium that you want to test out or a new role on your team or new efficiencies. And and just recognize that these are all predictions and we're playing in the realm of hypotheticals and we're going to call those predictions assumptions. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to look for the ones that have the most evidence behind them, right? That you say, okay, that's the, the prediction that I feel like is most backed and most founded and most stable. And I want you to look at the upside associated with that assumption. Maybe it's that if you were to change your messaging to more reflect the reality of the current economy, it would increase your sales. That's an assumption, right? So what do you do? You don't just say, okay, we're changing all messaging. Probably not, right? You fire a musket ball. This relies on Jim Collins' analogy that is just so powerful and so perfect for this specific teaching point. Musket balls versus cannonballs. Just think about this for a second. Back in the days, whenever they would fire cannonballs from a ship to hit a target or another ship or something like that, well, cannonballs are really expensive. They're not very space efficient and they require a lot of manpower to load. And so if you're gonna fire a cannonball, it's pretty important that you should get it right and that you should nail your target. And so they wouldn't calibrate their guns with a cannonball, they would calibrate their guns with a musket ball and they would load their rifle with a musket ball and let's pretend they're firing at another sh ship. They, they fire a musket ball, miss. Fire a musket ball, miss. Fire a musket ball, miss. Then fire a musket ball, hits the broadside of the ship. Now that we've calibrated, we've, we've tested our assumptions, we've found out what will work in the current climate of what we're in and in the current conditions that we're in, we load a cannonball, fire, boom, hit. How does this apply? We have an assumption that says that if we change our messaging to reflect the current economic conditions, it will increase our sales. Pretty massive assumption. What do we do? Change all our messaging? No, that looks like loading a cannonball and then firing and hoping it hits. It would be way better to maybe change the messaging on one email and see what happens. Maybe change the messaging on one page of your website. Maybe change the messaging in a couple text messages that you send your customers and ask them, hey, which one do you like better? Uh, you're firing musket balls to say, okay, this is an assumption we're making and based on that assumption, we're going to run a test and the test is going to tell us whether we should fire in a different direction, fire a bigger musket ball or fire a cannonball. But remember, you're always playing in the realm of possibilities, so it is incumbent upon you as a responsible leader to test your assumptions and to do that quickly and aggressively and often. This is why I think sometimes people operate in fear as it relates to agility because they feel like they've got to get it right. But if you're just firing a musket ball, if you're just firing one email off or sending one text to a customer, you don't have to get it right. It's totally okay if you get it wrong, right? And, and then we can learn a lot about how to get it right and eventually get the evidence necessary to prove out our assumptions and then fire a freaking cannonball. Test assumptions quickly, aggressively, and often. Okay, let's move to the final few. Remember what matters. Here's what I want you to know associated with this. As we enter into the season that is ahead and as we lead in the season that's right now, the thing that we should be remembering ourselves and reminding and reinforcing for our team is why do businesses exist? 
Well, businesses exist to solve problems, to meet needs, and to serve people, period. I'm going to say it again. Businesses exist to solve problems, to meet needs, and to serve people. And man, when there's a recession, what is there a lot of? Well, there's a lot of problems that need to be solved. In fact, that increases. There are a lot of needs that need to be met. In fact, that increases. And there's a lot of people that need to be served. That increases. And so... If businesses exist to solve problems, meet needs, and serve people, this should be an absolute entrepreneurial playground to serve people exceptionally well. To shift, to move, to adjust, to act, to test, to be agile, and to say, what do we need to do differently to serve and meet and solve with what the world and the marketplace is giving us today? This is about you being humble as a business to say, we exist to help the customer. The customer does not exist to us. And so we need to ask the marketplace, what does the customer need? And then it's a race to be the person who serves the fastest and best. And so remember that that's what matters. And you need to get your eyes above the conditions of the day-to-day and say, let's not forget what matters and let's just start looking for what are the problems that need to be solved in my industry as it relates to my consumer, maybe in the economy as a whole. What are the needs that need to be met and who are the people that need to be served? And if you can lift your head above water long enough to, to just assess those things and say, how can we jump on things to be able to, to serve and to be able to give generously, man, I, I just think that you are, are really going to thrive on the other end of this. And it may not feel like you're thriving at first, but, but what I want to tell you is that people remember. I saw this at my time at Ramsey all the time. Is Ramsey did a really, really great job of being the first to respond to crisis and, and make sure that they were serving people exceptionally well when crisis hit. And, and so they would do such a good job. And it, a lot of times it wasn't for financial gain at all. Like they would just give stuff away for free. And what they always found was, man, when we do that, when we give outrageously generously, you know what? People remember that because you build so much trust with people whenever you get into the trenches of their valley with them and you say, I'm with you in this and I wanna help you through this. And that's so important for you to remember. So what would it look like for you to apply that principle to your business? Businesses exist to solve problems, meet needs and serve people. Here's the other thing I want you to remember and this is more related to you personally. Remember what matters. So you could go through some financial hardship you can maybe lose some business. Gosh, some really tough things could happen associated with this season that are just completely out of your control. You could do all of these things right. And like we talked about in the first part of this series, like you can't fully recession-proof your business. So the people that are telling you you can, I just am very skeptical about those people, right? And, and, and so you could do all these things right and some tough stuff could still happen. But remember what matters, what actually really matters. Well, for me, what matters is my ability to love God, my ability to love people, my ability to do good work that serves others, my ability to invest in relationships that I believe in, and my ability to live in a way that's healthy for myself and other people. And what's crazy is you could take away my business, you could take away all of these external realities and these things that I have, I could have to sell everything that I own, although I, I've just about already done that because I don't own much anymore. You could take away all those externalities and all those things are still wildly available to me. 
And my bet is that the same is true for you. So just assess where you're at right now, where you're at right now. Do you have the ability to love God, love people, do work that serves others, invest in relationships you believe in, and live in a way that's healthy for yourself and other people? If yes, praise God. And then recognize that the things that really matter are already readily available to you. And my bet is that a recession can't take those things away. It may change the way that those things manifest, but a recession can't take those things away. The economy can't take those things away. And it's when we take our eye off the ball of what actually matters that we start trying to chase things that don't. So don't get caught up in this distracting race of things that don't actually matter, of the things that the news tells you matters and things like that. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of energy. Remember what actually matters, and I would even argue you would benefit in this season from doubling down on those things. Love God. Love people. Do good work that serves others. Invest in relationships you believe in. Live in a way that is healthy for yourself and others. Remember what matters. Okay, let's do two more. Number nine is prepare to get on offense. Now, I'm actually not going to spend much time on this one because we're going to record a whole episode on this one because this is an idea and topic that really transcends just this topic of recession. So we've got an episode coming up. And again, like if you're not subscribed to the podcast, we'd really appreciate you subscribing so that you make sure you know when that episode comes out. But here's kind of the thesis of the content that I wrote for that episode. You can delay losing the game on defense, but it's impossible to win the game. Eventually, you've got to get on offense. The responsible leader strategically moderates between the polarity of recklessness and risk averseness. Okay, so you can't win the game on defense. And if you're constantly trying to defend what you already have, you're never going to be able to take new territory. And the world is moving forward. So if you sit still, you're actually moving backwards. You're dying. Atrophy is the thing that we can count on, right? And so if you're going to move forward, if you're going to grow as a person, as a leader, as a business, it's going to be because you got an office. It's going to be because you shifted your weight from your heels to your toes. It's going to be because you courageously ventured into unknown territory and said, I'm going to operate in faith instead of from fear. But what does this look like from a posture of wisdom? Well, what does the second sentence say? The responsible leader strategically moderates between the polarities. So these are two in of a spectrum of recklessness, number one, that is like everything you do is untested assumptions and aggressive actions that are not founded in wisdom. Don't be a reckless leader, right? Don't just go throwing money at things. Don't just go on what your emotions tell you. Don't just go on what you heard on the news that day. Have some wisdom. Do your homework. Do some research. Don't be reactive, right? That's reckless, But also you can't be on the other side of the spectrum, which is risk averseness. And so what you can't do is be the person that says, okay, well, I'm just going to wait till this all plays out. And you literally wait till it all plays out. And if you wait till it all plays out, you don't step into the ring until the game's actually over, folks. So do you want to grow out of this? You want to move forward? You want to be a business that's healthier, stronger, wiser, more vibrant, more revenue. You mean you want to be a business that's healthier, stronger, has more revenue, serves more customers on the back end of this than on the front end? Well, then you can't just be risk averse all the time. You're going to have to take some risk. You're going to have to swing for the fences. You're going to have to say, okay, we're going to reduce our vulnerability, but we're not going to run from the threat. We're going to run at the threat. 
because with great risk can come great reward. And we know that. And so you got to be the type of person, you got to be the type of leader that can boldly and confidently with faith in a wise way, get on offense. This is just like the trailer for the episode that we do on that topic entirely. So if you can't tell, I'm getting a little bit pumped about that content. Prepare to get on offense is point nine. And that brings us to point 10. And this is an action that I tried to make really practical. And I think it's something that you should start doing today. Like don't wait, right? And that's that you should renew your mind daily. Now, I think that whenever any of us hear that phrase, renew your mind daily, probably one of the first things that comes to mind is the scripture Romans 12, 2. But what's interesting is if you read Romans 12, 2 in the context of Romans 12, 1. And so I want to read you all of it. The, the point that we're focusing on here is renewing your mind daily. Listen to this. This is Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's break this down. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so contextually, we know this is Paul writing a letter to the Romans, correct? In view of God's mercy. So in view of God's grace to you, this is pretty important, right? What he's saying here is the perspective you should be operating from is that you've already been given so much more than you could ever deserve, right? And, and that think about all the good things in your life. Think about all those things that really matter that you have access to right now. Great people, the ability to worship God, the ability to do work that serves others, the ability to live in the freest country in the world, the ability to be part of the most entrepreneurial time in human history and to be an entrepreneur within all that, the ability to have a spot on this planet, right? That is all grace. It's all mercy, you didn't do anything to earn any of that, right? And you certainly couldn't make that happen on your own effort. So that's the viewpoint we should be operating with. The view of God's grace and God's abundant mercy that he's doled out, rolled out, poured out upon us. It's a rich. We're operating from a posture of rich abundance. And it's in view of that, what do we do? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Now think about the context of this for a second. Think about how people at that time would think about the word sacrifice. Well, this was a time period in which the word sacrifice meant literally you kill something, you shed its blood and offer it up to your God or gods. And so that's what a sacrifice is. And a sacrifice is literally the killing of something to gain favor, pleasure, blessing, right? And that's culturally, contextually, how that word was perceived in that time. And so the idea of a living sacrifice, that would have been like a mind bender for these people, right? They would have been like, I don't understand. Those are two literally opposite words because a sacrifice means that something is dead and you're saying I'm of the sacrifice, but I sacrifice by living what is happening here? And, and so it probably would have been a little bit mind-blowing for them. And if we realize that it was mind-blowing for them, then it should probably be mind-blowing for us. He's saying something's going to have to die, but it's not going to be your body. 
It's going to be your ego. It's going to be your flesh. It's going to be that you are going to be a living sacrifice that dies to yourself and then lives in such a way that is holy and pleasing to God. That you put away your selfish tendencies. That you put away the sin of your past. That you put away this arrogant obsession with yourself. And you sell out to glorifying and honoring and blessing something so much bigger than you. That you start to realize, oh, this life isn't about me. And you sacrifice a life that was all about you so that you can live a life that is all about God. And that in some ways, that sacrifice is worship. And you say, I'm living my life I'm leading these people. I'm running this business to glorify the one that made it all possible. And man, when you operate with that posture, it's amazing how able you are to weather whatever storm comes your way. Paul was a great example of that, right? I mean, that guy went through some stuff, (laughs) got put in prison, got bit by snakes, got stranded at sea. And he just kept going. And he said, I, I've learned the ability to be content in all circumstances. What's he talking about there? Because he said, okay, my life isn't about me. It's about glorifying the God that made me. And here's the other thing associated with this. When you know the one that holds tomorrow, it gives you the ability to deal properly with what's going on today. Gives you the ability to take a deep breath. Gives you the ability to be present, centered, stable, and strong. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, then let's move to 12.2, which is the verse that is so directly related to point 10. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You're going to get a lot of messages in this current season and certainly in the season that's ahead. And the number of messages that you're going to get is probably going to increase in its probably hostility, probably fear-laden nature. And I wouldn't be surprised if those messages include a lot of fear-mongering, if it includes a lot of division, if it includes a lot of hatred and hostility. And that stuff's already happening. And anytime you apply stress to an already bad situation, it's just going to get worse, right? So that's proper expectation setting. And if the messages of the world are the only messages you're receiving every single day, you should not be surprised whenever you become a part of that message. And you become someone who is not observing the panic, but rather participating in the panic, when you become someone who's incredibly paranoid at best and rageful at worst, and when you become someone who is crippled with regard to your ability to make a positive difference. And what you already know to be true is that those messages are so variable. Like sometimes it just seems like the messages that get shared on the news are the ones that are the most popular, that will garner the most clicks or the most attention that day. And man, that's not really helpful. Do you really want to be a part of that wave? Probably not. And so what's the principle here? Well, we've said it over and over again on this podcast and Worth It Wednesday, all of that exposure to truth guards against insanity. And so I just believe the Bible is truth. I I actually believe that. 
And I honestly, you know, we've kind of walked a line where I say like, oh, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to believe and, and I'm, I, I'm not going to tell you what to believe. But man, what I will tell you is unless you've got a better and more compelling answer, now would probably be a really good time to start reading the Bible because things are going to get wild. Things are going to get crazy. I don't know if it's going to be economically. I don't know if it's going to be geopolitically. I don't know if it's going to be culturally. I mean, I just have this belief that over the course of the next decade, COVID is going to look like child's play compared to what we might have to experience. And I'm not trying to be a fear monger. I'm just saying, man, if we look at the trajectory of things, like it would probably be wise to say that this thing could get rough. And, and that's being realistic. And so if we know that the waters are going to be so turbulent, now would be a really wise time to figure out what's the anchor that isn't moving. And for me, the thing that I can point back to over and over again as truth that has stood the test of time and most aligns with my life's experience in the world around me is the Bible. And so how do we renew our mind? We expose ourselves to truth every single day. We say that I'm not going to become a part of the message that the world is sending. I'm going to rely and lean on and stand in truth. And I'm going to allow that to transform me daily. And I will tell you, out of all of the 10 steps that we've talked about over the course of the past two episodes, I think this is the one that will make all the others more possible. If you can expose yourself to truth, not be conformed to the ways of what everyone else is doing and be transformed by the renewing of your mind, I think everything else will be radically more available to you. So let's read the verse one more time. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Okay, real quick, before we go, let's review the 10 actions that we're going to take out of this two-episode series on preparing for recession. We said that you need to get your house in order. You need to reinforce, amplify, and publicize culture. You need to understand and minimize risk. You need to consistently assess the landscape for reality. You need to play the role of narrator. You need to position yourself and your business to be agile. You need to test assumptions quickly, aggressively, and often. You need to remember what matters. You need to prepare to get on off offense and you need to renew your mind daily. Y'all, if this content was helpful, we send out a uh, email every Wednesday called Worth It Wednesday. That's because I think most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time or worth your energy. And so every Wednesday, we try to send out one that is. Uh, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. If you want to be part of that email list, it's it's just it's some of my favorite writing that I get to do every single week. And I'm just so grateful that so many of you are a part of that community. And man, the actions that y'all take out of that email, it's just so cool to hear about and to see. So if you're already a part of it, awesome. If you're not and you want to be a part of that free email, you can sign up at the link that's in the show notes or at pathforgrowth.com. That's called Worth It Wednesday. You all know this. In this season and every season, we're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. My strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.